we understand that, hey, we hope to get to the mountaintop of success or purpose or meaning in the future. But that means nothing if you can't enjoy the journey, if you can't just like really roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty along the way. Hello and a warm welcome to our listeners. Today, I'm talking to a very special guest, Brandon Bryan. Brandon is an African-American millennial and entrepreneur, influencer, social media brand consultant, investor, and many, many more things. He quitted Wall Street. He quitted his Wall Street job as an investment banker to support startups founded by people of color and women to change the face of entrepreneurship. I'm honored to welcome him to the show and find out more about himself, his passions, his goals, up and downs in his career. Welcome to another episode of Partners in Time. Hey, Brandon, how are you? Thanks for being my guest today. What's going on? Happy to be here. Where are you right now? What's, what's your position? I am based out of Cleveland, Ohio. We just had the All-Star game here uh, for the, the NBA All-Star game. So it was really great, uh, but it is currently cold. So I'm just trying to stay warm. Did you see that uh, game? Where are you at the game? Yes, I went to the game. Uh, one of my really good friends from high school is actually the mayor of Cleveland. So I had a chance to kind of see the ins and the outs and some of the behind the scenes of what was going on in the city, but it was, there was a lot of uh, momentum. A lot of the players were here, a lot of folks in entertainment and media. Um, and we're coming off a pretty, pretty good high as a city right now. Yeah. I mean, isn't Super Bowl finalist sort of Clevelandish close to it, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. It's very, it's not as big as the Super Bowl, but it is as good as you can get outside of there. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, and and you, the mayor of Cleveland is a high school friend of yourself. That's that's amazing. So you're the plus one to any event that's probably going to be right. <laughs> hey, you know, I can't, I cannot deny or confirm, but uh, let's just say that it was a good time. <laughs> I, I could, I, I, it sounds amazing. Are you wearing a watch right now? Yes, I am. What kind of? Maybe I don't I'm wearing the. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely wearing the the IWC. I'm wearing the uh, the Big Pilot 43 with the blue dial, um, oh. with the kind of like screw in crown. It's nice. It's a nice. Um, it's a very nice watch. Uh, I really like that. Um, it can be seen as a statement piece. It can be dressed up. It can be dressed down, and also with some of the newer IWC models it's really easy to take off the straps and to change them uh, in and out. And I think from a person who's a little bit newer to the space, it was hard to bring out, like go on Amazon and buy a watch kit <laughs> and try to like change the, uh, the bands yourself. So now that totally, it's just like yeah. one click of a button, it's, it's lifesaver. So you do change them a lot because that's new. So like, do you change them regarding your outfits or, or how do you, What's the decision-making yeah. in changing the straps? What's happening? Outfit in occasion. So um, the occasion could do for something that's like more caskin and closer to leather. Um, or if it's more um, informal, it can be something that's rubber or something that's like more of a textile or fabric. And um, I grew up being the guy who had the, um, 
know, small timepiece that I always change the straps on. And I thought it was, it was really hard to do once you got um, really high quality watches because you had to be extremely careful. You don't want to break anything, especially when this is like a timepiece you can pass on to your children. And what's the strap of choice for an NBA all-star game where you're attending the mayor <laughs> of the city that's presented? Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I had the blue calfskin. Um, so like that okay. navy blue that kind of matches the actual navy blue dial of the watch. So it's cool to have that blue on blue action. And um, I'm surprised because I feel like uh, IWC is a very refined and like if you know, you know type of brand. But um, a lot of folks who are collectors in a space really um, are excited about IWC. So a lot of folks were who already understand that this was one of the newer versions of the big pilot. Absolutely. So, so did, are people approaching you? Are people talking to you online or offline on events like that? Oh, for About sure. For sure. Definitely. Definitely. I, I feel like IWC is definitely up there now with uh, some of the top watch collectors. And it, I feel like IWC is for the folks who may not be as splashy, <laughs> uh, folks who just want to be undercover. But if you look at the rest, you know that they are a watch collector. 100 it's are you a watch guy like did you always had watches and were wearing watches in your life yeah i think i was a more simpler guy i was like a timex and um seiko kind of like casio guy like something that was like super muted uh very low key uh but something that like really kind of enhanced the outfit uh but as i've been working with iwc over the the few years um i have like five now so it's really it's oh. really exciting to start to build out a real kit. I'm I have like the boxes or the the watch box where you put in the watches and and all the nice <laughs> felt. So it feels like interesting to actually take care of my timepieces instead of just throwing them in my my luggage to just go to whatever place I'm going to. So I, I feel like I'm more mature and growing up now. One hundred percent. Is the forty three big pilot you're wearing today is that your favorite of out of the five or? Do you have like a special occasion, most favorite, like, or does that change maybe even? What's up? Yeah, this, the Big Pilot 43 is becoming one of my favorites. I think it's because like the, it's, it's chunky, but it's not too chunky. You know, like the, the dial and the screw in, um, like it's, it's really nice. And then I think like I had larger, um, had larger dials, like 46 millimeter, et cetera. And those were probably a little bit too big for my wrist. So 43 is probably one of the, it's like a good in-between. I think maybe 41 to 42 might've been too small. So 43 is really good. And then blue, I, I wear a lot of blue. So having the, the blue dials is uh, pretty solid. Yeah, perfect. I mean, on me, it changes. Like watches are growing. The more I wear them, like it's, it's I could every <laughs> three months, I'm changing my favorite IWC, which is uh, which is one of the things I like about watches, to be honest, because it's not a one thing off and you have it and that's it, sort of. So, so it kind of changes with your personality, at least in my case, because I'm changing my personality. Like I'm I'm not very constant in what I do <laughs> within the last 15 years, I would say. Do you remember <laughs> your first watch ever? The first you ever had? Man, this is it. I don't remember my first watch from like way back in the day. Um, I, 
Actually, I think it was a G-Shock, to be honest with you. I think it was definitely a G-Shock, a little bit bulky. uh, And I got it in a few different colors. I had it in black. I had a red wine. And uh, and then I think it was Casio after that. Like, so I had these like very cool kind of techie watches that I wanted to try to wear when I swim. <laughs> it, was, it was it was one of those things. How old are you? Just to give it into perspective. Yeah, I was probably probably like in in that eight to ten range. So I was in uh, elementary school. And how old are you now? Thirty-two <laughs> now. Yeah, That's <laughs> 32 now. Age. That's a great age. <laughs> nice uh, and right, not about... too old, not too young. <laughs> It's the prime, prime uh, age. It's it's pretty good. Um, talking of holy grails, because I have like, in golfing, I golf a lot. And I have one course I once want to play in my lifetime, which is Cypress Point Club. If you're not into golf, you, you're not, mm-hmm. uh, understand. But it's it's like the VIP section you can't buy in of Pebble Beach, which is like already one of the best uh, courses in the world. But but Cypress Point mm-hmm. is super hard to get in. So um, regarding watches, do you have like some sort of a dream, holy grail, uh, life goal watch? Uh, yeah, that you want to get one day? Yeah, I would say there are two. Obviously, one is a is the IWC and one's not. But uh, from the IWC perspective, I think the the big pilots watch um, the Lewis Hamilton edition, and I was realizing that I know that you have affiliation with them. But a uh, hundred made in the world, and and this is I think this is maybe a little bit uh, adventurous for IWC to make a watch like this. That's burgundy, not even not only on the strap but also on the dial and then the, the, the screw and crown being gold. So it was a, it was a little bit out, outside of their typical watches. So I thought that this is one that's like an awesome instantaneous um, conversation piece. And anyone who's in the know will definitely come up to you and chat about that and just wonder how are you one of the 100 people in the world that has this watch. Uh, so that's like my favorite um, Holy Grail IWC version. And then secondly, another special edition uh, is probably like the the newest uh, Patek Philippe um, collaboration with uh, Tiffany. Like that, the, being a yeah. sneaker collector growing up, yeah. like the Tiffany yeah. Dunks and Tiffany Green, it's just, <laughs> it's one for the record books. And Jay-Z was wearing that for the, like, it looked like Jay-Z had the first one, right? At least yeah, yeah. internet-wise, yeah. Yeah. And the in in the way they wrote that out was cool with the whole Tiffany yeah. um the, the Tiffany uh Basquiat that went with it. It was like, whoa, you guys got a Basquiat and Tiffany Grains scrape. <laughs> yeah, regarding Lewis, I mean, uh, so you're a fan of Lewis? You like what he does? Big fan. I think I'm in my like sophomore or junior year of F1, so I can't say I've been around it since I was younger. But when I moved back home to to Cleveland uh, from New York, I was in New York for seven and a half years, moved back home in September of 2020. All of my friends here were big F1 fans, mainly because of the, the Netflix show of and how you can like go through the whole season and understand all the ins and outs and all the um, politics that goes with that. And, and then they were finally starting to watch uh, F1 live. And then they would love to see the recap of the season and all the the behind the scenes. So 
Um, I'm all caught up. I'm ready for the next season to kind of come out. And then even in, in, in great uh, politics as usual, the last race of the season this year was uh, very interesting, to say the least. And uh, there was a lot of banter back and forth between me and some of my friends. And I was like, dude, did you not expect for there to be a showdown in the last race of F1? Of course, there was going to be a showdown. And unfortunately, some of my friends were on the wrong side of that showdown. But um, <laughs> at the end of the day, it was great. It was really great for the sport. Like more people are paying attention to it now, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's inter interesting. I saw a crazy number that more people watched the season final last year than Super Bowl 2022, which is wow. insane, right? Like worldwide. That's a huge thing. Like, um Yeah, and, and I big. thought like <laughs> Super, Super Bowl is kind of a, I think a, a soccer World Cup final is still above that because Super Bowl mm -hmm. they kind of that's they they want to have that stamp of biggest sport event whatever because it's a single sport event and so they say we're the biggest single sport event and but worldwide a, a World Cup final a soccer World Cup final I think is still number one um, but but I'm I'm I mean I worked four years in Formula One started 2016 and it's insane how that changed around and how much lewis also did for younger cooler different people to watch mm -hmm. that sports because before lewis it was to be honest quite white and yeah. uh, it was quite old <laughs> too it was a father and son thing and and me being german it was super german with schumacher and, and stuff and now I mean, now uh, Mac the Stallion is <laughs> on Austin with like it's it's a rapper thing, and mm -hmm. I like that a lot, and and I like the diversity of it a lot, and and it's it's kind of interesting to listen to people, and I want to know a little bit about you. So basically, you're 32. You live in Cleveland. Did you grow up in Cleveland? And 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 what what's that finance investment? I looked up. We have a couple of mutual friends, Anand and D, which are mm -hmm. to be honest the most bright people in investing in finance. So if I'm having questions, I'm asking Anand about uh, mm -hmm. how to invest, how to buy stocks and stuff. So if you're that, uh, yeah. So maybe I can ask you in the future <laughs> because uh, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So uh, walk me through your life. You did grow up in Cleveland. I, I got, so uh, what are you doing? What's your job? What's, what's your, uh, yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, so I'll give a little bit of background about, where I'm from, and then I'll, I'll talk about kind of what I'm up to now from a professional standpoint. Uh, originally from Cleveland, uh, went to Ohio State for school. I studied economics there. Uh, I actually was in this uh, awesome leadership program as a sophomore in college and met uh, my business partners for Harlem Capital, uh, uh, Henri and Jared, some 11 years ago in that leadership program. Uh, the three of us ended up interning together in finance in New York. And then the three of us also moved to New York full-time after graduation. We lived in Harlem. We were roommates and we worked at the same investment banks. And so we got to know each other personally and professionally pretty well. And two years after that, we had this idea to invest in our neighborhood. So we were, like Harlem is a neighborhood of great heritage, uh, the Harlem Renaissance, et cetera. And we wanted to be a part of this new Harlem Renaissance um, so we started to invest our personal capital into small businesses and real estate um, in Harlem. And then we kind of stumbled into early stage startups and saw that technology is the future. It's the next industrial revolution, if you will. And that's where a lot of generational wealth was going to be created. So we wanted to make sure that we were on the forefront of that industry. 
And we still also wanted to focus on um, people of color and women, just like folks who look like us. And so we ended up um, raising our own fund and it was a $40 million fund. We ended up, we ended up doing uh, 28 investments out of that fund. And then now we are on our second fund, which is $134 million fund. And we'll probably do somewhere around 45 deals out of this fund. Uh, we've actually done 11 deals so far. And the industries we typically look at, mostly software. So anything that's enterprise software, feature of work, feature of e-commerce, fintech or consumer technology, that's kind of uh, some type of automation, some type of software. And we're also looking a lot into the Web3 and crypto space. So those same verticals that I mentioned before, but just with uh, a Web3 lens and folks who are building those in, in the Web3 space. And we typically do one to $3 million into seed routes. So we're very focused on the early stage investments, your first kind of two to $5 million that you fundraise. And um, we're seven folks full time. Uh, three live in New York. Uh, I, I was in New York for about seven and a half years. And now I have moved back to Cleveland uh, in September of 2020. Um, but we also have folks who are in Miami, DC, and also in uh, LA. And what about that first round? What what kind of can you tell me a story of one of the investments you did? Like, so I can oh, understand yeah. it better. Definitely, Just we can talk about some of our companies. Yeah. One example: uh, there's a company called Drip. D R I P. Uh, this is. Uh, company that I'm super excited about. It is a live shopping platform. So just think about folks who um, we call it shop tainment. So while you're shopping, you're also being entertained. And so they focus on collectibles. So folks who are selling Pokemon cards or Yu-Gi-Oh cards or Funko Pops. Uh, also, they focus on sports memorabilia. So sports cards and basketballs and footballs, et cetera. And they recently got into the Web3 space. So now they enable crypto payments. So people who are shopping for collectibles and want to pay for those collectibles in crypto, they can. And that's through a partnership that they have with Coinbase. And um, they also just recently um, put out a new product that lets you mint NFTs during your live stream. So they already have this like really cool, innovative way of commerce. And they're also kind of taking on this Web3 lens of being able to let you use crypto, but also um, mint NFTs and create new kind of like fungible tokens, if you will. So they're, they're on a rocket ship right now. Um, they they, they recently from? raised, uh, and those folks are, uh, they're based out of New York and San Francisco. So something else I'll say, we've been mainly doing uh, US companies over the last two or three years, but we did do our first two companies that were international. One was out of Africa and the other one was out of Latin America. Okay, and and they are looking for money and and show up on your. Or do you find them, or do they find you? Good question. So fifty, we see about three thousand deals a year. Fifty um, percent come straight from management, so folks reach out to us via email or social media, etc. Um, the other fifty percent kind of comes from our friends, our former colleagues, um, other VCs, or founders that we've already invested in. We have. Uh, over 40 founders that we've invested in. Those folks tend to have people in their networks that are also starting companies. So it's about 50-50 from inbound versus just our network. And also something else that I might mention, we are, since we're focused on uh, people of color and women, and typically people of color and women have not been um, 
funded in the VC space, they actually only get 4% of the capital that goes to the space. Despite being 70 plus percent of the U.S. population, uh, people of color and women combined. And so we are great storytellers around what we're doing. Yeah, it is. That delta 4% to 70%. And let's also mention that hundreds of billions of dollars go to venture capital each year. So you have delta 4 to 70 times 100 plus billion each year. It's there's a, there's a lot of opportunity in this space, which is why we're uh, focused on it. But we are all about storytelling uh, because we also believe that you can't be what you can't see. So everything we do, we build in public around it. So we have about 400 plus thousand followers across Twitter and Instagram and all of our other social media platforms. And we use that as like a direct communication um, avenue to the community that we're trying to support. Uh, so it's been it's been really awesome to kind of build this from scratch. We were kind of like the first large fund that was diverse owned, but also diverse focused from an investment lens to kind of scale. That's amazing. So um, do did any invest slide into your DMs on Insta? And that's, that's been the initial. I've, I'm sorry to ask that question, but like it's, no, no, it's no. 2022. Yeah. It's new ages. Is that happening? Are people with good ideas, oh, definitely. good opportunities sliding into your DMs? And that's the first contact? It's both ways. It's definitely both ways. Like, I think Twitter and LinkedIn are the best. You know, social media, or sorry, Instagram in and of itself is a little bit more um, flash in a panty. But yeah. Twitter and I think LinkedIn are a lot more professional and a lot more like high level educational, if you will. So I actually, uh, and we as a team, are very proactive about reaching out. So we actually like carve out time individually as team members to reach out on LinkedIn and Twitter to founders and other operators in a space and also other VCs weekly. Like we're weekly on the offense. Uh, we're all about like intercepting opportunity. And we've actually done a lot of investments of people that we went outbound on um, in Drip technically is one of them. Like we knew that um, his, the founder's name is Javon. He was an investor at, a, at another fund and he was one of the only uh, black investors at that fund. So we just wanted to make sure that he had an open avenue to us and just like-minded people in a space. And as he kind of spun out of that VC firm that he's working at and was starting a company, we were super top of mind because we had already started a relationship with him before he had even thinking about starting the company. And now we're one of his largest investors um, in his new company. And is it exclusively that you go to people of color or women? So is there is that a no-go? Is that a deal breaker? Is it a deal breaker then if somebody is white-owned, for example, or too male-owned? Do you then really say no if there's a great opportunity in there? Or how do you handle that? This is a, a, a question we get all the time. What we typically say, <laughs> no, 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 no. This is a good question for sure. We are nowhere near exclusionary at all. We're just prioritizing certain folks. So we're focused on teams that have folks on the founding team who are black, Latino, or a woman of any race. Um, and that's like our priority. And to internally, like we tend to focus on 75% of our investments being focused on those type of founders. Uh, but we have invested in the past in folks who uh, are not specifically um, have that 
ethnicity or background. Okay. And there's enough white uh, funding out there, I guess. <laughs> so, so that's, that's a, I think you're doing a, you're doing a great job. Um, one bad news that happened to you uh, is, and I, I want to talk about it, you dropped out of a list. And it, it happened because of your age, right? You're not on the <laughs> 30 under 30, which is one of the holy grails. You're out of there, yeah. right? You're 32 now. Um, yeah. But it's a sick thing. Like you, you've been in there in that, like it's external. Uh, like it's not because you, you didn't succeed in financial things. It's mainly because, yeah, you, you gained age. So, um, but talk me about it. How, how, how did that happen? How did you find out? What was that feeling like seeing this and how much did it help, honestly? Yeah. And I know um, this is a conversation that you've had with the folks at Group Chat, D and Anand. And how important or how not important this is. Here's what I'll say. Forbes 30 and 30 was awesome. We all four of our teammates uh, made the list, which was rare. It was rare that even like two founders on the same team, let alone if you had more than two founders on a team for them all to make it. So that was great. And we all were people of color. We also had a chance to ring the bell at the NASDAQ. Um, because we were, you know, won the Forbes or certain not one, but we're made the Forbes list. And I think like we were able to like meet so many amazing, not only founders and operators in this space, but that's the whole reason why I had a chance to meet IWC as a brand was through um, some, one of their like collaboration partners. And we did a dinner and I had a chance to meet the president at the time of IWC and start to like build like a very long-term relationship. So What I would say is Forbes is the, the Forbes list is what you make of it. Um, many people make the list and many people don't use it to their advantage, but it is can be you know a marketing tool for some folks, right? Like you get a chance to be in rooms that you would never be in before. It is a smell test approval for some individuals and um, and you can potentially meet some really great partners internally. Um, and then Forbes has also become a partner for Harlem Capital. We've had a chance now to, um, work with Forbes and some of our founders and uh, two to three of our founders write for Forbes um, quarterly and they'll do two to three articles with them. So it's been a pretty uh, strong relationship with them well outside of just making the list. Um, and I think it it's only down to the person to figure out how do you uh, make this more than just a list and something that's a vanity metric to something that's more of a strong partnership and more of a platform for you to kind of um, execute and make something of a purpose out of it. I'm, I'm talking to you for now 20 minutes and I'm already realizing that, that long-term things are way more important in your life, I think. Is that your key to success as well, that you're not looking for one-off, biggest shot, whatever, but uh, like relationships or long projects? Is that one of the things you would you would advise younger here listeners <laughs> for sure i mean it's always about the long game i mean you got to think about what am i <laughs> the industry i'm in we invest capital into companies that are sometimes an idea something on a napkin something that is like the most viable product without any customers and we don't find out if we're right until seven to ten years sometimes closer to 12 years into the future. Uh, so we're very, very long-term thinkers. And even going back to that, like Harlem Capital in and of itself, our mantra is we want to change the face 
of entrepreneurship by investing in a thousand diverse entrepreneurs over the next 20 years. So just our mantra and the foundation that we built our company on, our ethos and our DNA, if you will, is always about long-term and some of our even top values. One of them is enjoy the journey. We understand that, hey, we hope to get to the mountaintop of success or purpose or meaning in the future, but that means nothing if you can't enjoy the journey, if you can't just like really roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty along the way. Absolutely. And is the, like if you invest in companies, because it it's very interesting to listen uh, to you, Brandon, talking like that, because it's exactly the values I really like as well. And and I mean, I'm German, so we are, our work ethic <laughs> is good, right? Like people say we're on time, we're effective and, and combined to other people, we're not as good in selling or in creating ideas. I mean, there is no real German uh, Silicon Valley or something like that that really shaped the world or something. We shaped the world in bookkeeping software, SAP and stuff like that, you know, <laughs> like the, the mm -hmm. not so cool, fancy, flashy stuff. But um, if you invest into, you just said ideas maybe sometimes, what's more important? And I'm aware both of it is important, but if you have to choose one, is the idea or the work ethic of the people involved in the project more important for a decision for a thumbs up or thumbs down out of your company in investing? Yeah, I would say always the founder. Like when you are underwriting an idea, obviously you're underwriting, you know, the the market and other different things that might go into it. But at the end of the day, you're backing the founder or the co-founders in their vision. And you understand specifically because it is so early in the game and they're just getting off the ground that they may have to pivot left, right, up, down. They might have to change vision. And you're hoping that they have great grit, that they are a magnet for talent, that they're great storytellers, they're coachable and they're, they're leaders to their community through the ups and also through the downs. And for example, I mean, most people know of the company Slack, um, Stuart Butterfield initially started a gaming company. And that gaming company, after he raised his first round of capital, didn't work out. And he had a little bit of capital left and he used that to pivot the business to what is Slack today because as they were building this gaming company, they realized the game they were building was not the greatest, but the communication tool that they built for gaming was hot fire. <laughs> and that this actually might be the real tool and a real opportunity in the future. And they pivoted all of their time and information there. And then what happened, right? Like Slack IPO, they got acquired by Salesforce. And, you know, now they've done pretty well for their, um, not only their company, but also their investors. And so betting on the jockey, not necessarily the horse, is something that I think we focus on at Harlem Capital. Did Harlem Capital uh, invest into Slack? I wish we did. <laughs> But same thing happened with Drip. Drip initially started as a live, um, as like a more like video conference platform. And then they pivoted into live streaming after six months. So I hope to be telling that story about Drip. And I hope that Drip is going to be a much more household name in the future. Um, and obviously have great success for not only, um, you know, their team and their employees, but also for us. But wanted to share uh, some type of a metaphor that a lot of people 
know about Slack and Salesforce, etc. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so what's been your worst investment? Do you still <laughs> remember that? Do you think about that even? Worst investment. We're still As early. <laughs> We're still early. We're extremely early. Uh, but one thing, maybe it's from more of my personal life. Worst investments were probably um, investing in penny stocks blindly. You know, anytime you invest into like a get rich quick scheme or you're you're playing with options, et cetera, which I did in in college, it never ended well. Like it was extremely high, <laughs> high risk, high reward gambling. And um, to your point of asking like long term and focus, things of that nature. I learned a lot early from losing small amounts of capital on very speculative things that it's just not worth the time and the stress to always look at charts and news and information. And I'd rather just invest in things that are a lot more stable and a lot more strong and things that I've underwritten with research and diligence. And what's been the best invest so far? Hmm. Uh, Two things. I, we, we're really excited about Drip. We think that Drip is going to be uh, one of our better investments and they're, they're on a rocket ship and um, we think that they're going to be the future. So that's, that's probably one. But two, I think the best investment was in myself. You know, I think there's a lot of people who want to um, take their time and effort and, and talent to invest into other people or other things, but not investing in yourself. Like you could only go so far as the work that you put into yourself. So I'm a very big person around self-development. Um, and one mantra that I love from, um, uh, from like an amazing, I almost think of him as a, as a philosopher. He was the mentor to, um, to Tony Robbins, whose name is Jim Rohn. He talked about working harder on yourself than you do on your job. And that changed my life. I, I think I read that quote when I was, maybe 23 or so. And I realized that my entire career, which was short, but like I was an investment banker on wall street. I was doing really well financially. And I know that I was so focused on my job. I forgot to build myself up to focus on being a better reader, a better listener, a better son, a better brother, a better uncle, better friend, et cetera. And once I started to focus more on myself and my mental health, my physical health, my emotional health, I became better in every single thing that I've done across the board personally and professionally and so i think that that's been my smartest investment outside of just you know professional has just been really focusing on fine-tuning and sharpening myself and then also surrounding myself by people who believe in those same kind of ethos and mantra yeah, that's uh, i do agree a lot it's uh, very uh, it's 100 true and Penny stocks are very bad for your men mental health. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to, to Two extremes, right? Yourself versus a penny stock. <laughs> <laughs> it is It is like that. What, what do you do privately to take care of your mental Like, Do you do sports? Do you? What's your hobbies? Is there like some sort of a passion you have for another topic outside in Cleveland? What's, what's the weekend stuff you do? Yeah, so I definitely, I'm very big on... Um, meditation. I'm very big on affirmations and speaking things out loud. Um, and then also I've been pushing myself personally to do more uh, reading, to do more writing. 
And then lastly, I'm a big basketball fan, um, but obviously basketball can start taking toll on your body as you're getting older. So I've started to pick up golf. Like I am starting to get into the golf space. And when you're talking about Pebble Beach, a um, few friends in the building that I live in went there last year and I'm very jealous. And we went to like one of these simulator places here in Cleveland and we played Pebble Beach together on the simulator. And I was like, yo, it'll be really cool in the future to kind of go there in person. But I got to get my golf swing a lot better uh, before I head there. Yeah, that's that's play down here. I'm I live in Newport Beach, and next to it is uh, a place called Pelican Hill, which is a beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful, not so diverse, but um, very, very <laughs> beautiful golf course. So let's let's bring you in there. And they they always look at me already, like because I'm wearing way way too flashy stuff. And uh, so yeah, so maybe we we shake that place a little bit up. And it's beautiful. It's really 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 nice. Whenever you're in OC or or LA, uh, yeah, hit me up and and we swing a couple of uh, balls. I would love to. And I think if I heard correctly from the group chat podcast, you have a store down there too. So we'd love to definitely stop by uh, the store that you're running. Correct, yeah, on Pacific Coast. Not the most clever thing I ever did. I, I like the address a lot, Pacific Coast Highway. You know, like I grew up as a kid in Germany and one day I will be in the United States of America and then this thing showed up like it's on Pacific Coast Highway. 6,000 West Coast Highway is my address. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go for it. It's insanely expensive. It makes no sense to do an office like I do it. And the store is kind of like there's one or two people coming in a day. So it's not even close wow. to making up because yeah. we are an e-com brand. We are e-com, e-com, e-com. So it makes, but, but uh, storytelling wise, coming back to, to what you guys do in investing as well, um, storytelling wise, it makes sense. And I use it. There's a piano in there now. So, and I soundproof oh, nice. it. And I do exactly what you were talking about. And I, I 100% agree. So this year I did every day 15 minutes of piano, uh, just playing and, and trying to learn new uh, songs. And I was struggling super hard because uh, in the beginning you're not like it, you're not used to it. But um, uh, yeah, you're learning fast and or at least for me, learned a new song within one month and, and it did help my mental health to have 15 minutes without a phone, without tasks, without like with one super like same with sports, we all agree. But um, yeah, stuff like that. Uh, I'm happier right now in this year because I'm doing that. So um, yeah, I do agree that that reading and stuff like that is, is super important and super, super good. I could talk forever to you, Brandon, but we got to wrap <laughs> it up at one point. I have a couple of reoccurring uh, questions that I, that I mm -hmm. want to. So, um, and I want to ask you too. So one thing, if you could, it's about time. You know, the whole podcast is about uh, time. It's a little bit about uh, how to track time. If you can stop one moment, if you could have stopped one moment in the past of your life, What would you what would you do? Like what's that moment in your life so far where you could have stopped time? Hmm. Good question. Uh it's hard to decide. I, I I'm sorry for always having more than one. The two that make the most sense to me. Uh one is graduation from Ohio State. Uh Obama spoke at my graduation and then the next day I flew to India for two weeks. Like if I could have that in a just like like a little time capsule week leading up to <laughs> to yeah, graduation yeah. In, in India was like super awesome. And then the second 
time was when we closed our first fight. Um, as I mentioned, no one has ever raised as much as capital as we had raised at that first fine. It was a $40 million fine that was diverse owned and diverse focused. And we think that we really had a chance to bust down a door that um, folks were knocking at for decades. Uh, so that was like just a, such an amazing time and uh, weight lifted off of our shoulders and promise for the future that was given to us. Uh, kudos to that. Congratulations. It's uh, very, very good. If you would have more time, what would you use it for? Just like if the day all of a sudden has 26 hours. what's Where are those <laughs> two hours going to? Reading and times with friends and family. Um, I just wish I had way more time to read. I'm reading a book right now called Beta Ball, which is around how um, a former venture capitalist bought the Golden State Warriors and turned them around in five years um, and how he did it with technology and strategy. So I would love to read a lot more books like that. And then I feel as though, especially after COVID and um, the pandemic, everyone's so spread out. So I would love to have just a lot more time to call or go meet up with friends and family in person. Perfect. Thanks for being a partner in time here on our podcast. It was super inspiring and interesting to, to listen to you speaking. You do have a watchmaking class coming up this weekend, right? Yes, uh, I'm so streets, pumped. Streets of um, Schaffhausen, they told me. You know, like you get everything <laughs> in the streets of Schaffhausen, close to the Rheinfall. They kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we the mayor will be there, which is really exciting. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, we're, we got some we got some really strong uh, Cleveland um, high signal folks who will be there, and it's pumped. Uh, like they, uh, the team mentioned that not everyone gets a watchmaking class, so in and of itself, it's a very it's a rarity. Have you been to one? Actually, no, no, no. You're well. <laughs> I'm 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 not that important. Like just super important people that IWC really values get the watchmaking class. So I'm I'm far off that. Like, yeah, they're like you got the podcast. You're good. <laughs> It kind of is like that. Yeah, but but uh, I'm gonna follow. I'm following you already on Insta. So I hope you post a little bit about it and and some lit Insta story uh, content game. I want to see about that watchmaking. Uh, definitely, class. definitely. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much uh, for this talk. Thank you. Dear listeners, thank you very much for your time. In our next episode, we are going to talk about the Pilot's Watches collection with George Russell. If you can't wait for our next episode and want to know more about IWC, our watches and our heritage, you could check out our website or find us on social at IWC Journal on Instagram. Otherwise, I'd love to have you back for the next episode with George Russell on March 18, 2022. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast. This way, you're not missing any upcoming episode of IWC's podcast, Partners in Time.